has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you, for darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and God's glory will appear over you. Nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Lift up your eyes and look around. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from far away, and your daughters shall be carried in their nurses' arms. And then you shall see and be radiant. And your heart shall thrill and rejoice, because the abundance of the sea shall be brought to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you, the young camels of Midian and Ephah. All those from Sheba shall come, and they shall bring gold frankincense, and shall proclaim the praise of the Lord. Grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever, the word of the Lord. One of the responsibilities of good preaching is to try to create space for us to hear ancient texts in, in, in ways that make sense of a world that wasn't even in anybody's mind when those texts were written in the first place. Which sounds pretty reasonable, doesn't it? I mean, as, as Harry Emerson Fosdick famously said, people don't go to church to learn more about the Jebusites. Which, of course, is kind of a hard word for us nerdy seminary types to hear. I mean, we like to think that what interests us is of interest to everybody. And, I, you know, I have to be honest, it comes as something of a rather bracing shock to find out when you're a new minister that most folks in the pews don't sit around and contemplate the implications of prelapsarianism or post-liberal biblical hermeneutical strategy. But, unfortunately, at least for us, people have other things to worry about. Like, oh, will partisan politics and vaccine denial keep us forever in the clutches of the pandemic? Or a, a, a crisis in voting rights, a possibility of a coup attempt that succeeds in the future? Or wealth disparity brought on by, you know, all kinds of toxic capitalism that, 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 that sort of increases the disparities in wealth, stagnating wages, race relations, anti-Semitism, Affordable Care Act, whether, whether the, the, the Cubs are gonna completely tank this year. I mean, all this stuff is really important. They're big questions, and questions that, let's just be honest, go largely unanswered in scripture. So when we get a passage like today's from Isaiah, it's, it's really, it's really a, a, a difficult task to keep our eyes from glazing over. 
I mean, it's pretty, obviously. There's no question about that, but, 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 but it seems so, so distant. I mean, what, what do the camels of Midian and Ephah have to do with tornado victims in western Kentucky? Or, or whether the... The issues that we face as a country are going to continue to confront us. I mean, what does gold and frankincense have to do with whether or not young people with onerous student loans are going to be able to make enough money to cover the loans, let alone carve out any kind of a life, or, 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 or whether undocumented immigrants are going to have their families torn apart by deportation? I mean, what does any of this stuff that Isaiah is talking about, which happened 2,500 years ago, well, what does it have to do with whether... Omicron will fill our hospitals so full that every other healthcare emergency is just going to get pushed to the side, or, 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 or whether our democracy is resilient enough to endure the beating that it's taken at the hands of some of our neighbors, or, or the fact that certain folks in our government lie to us with such staggering regularity that huge sections of the population have largely become inured to it. Frankly, I mean, we've got more pressing issues to occupy our idle hours than, you know, to, 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 to think about this stuff that Isaiah's laying out for us today, don't we? I mean, come on, preacher, give us, give us something that'll help us deal with the fact that the world feels extra shaky and unstable right now. With nothing for us to do, but wonder if there's anything anybody can do to stop what feels like the coming apocalypse. I mean, you see what I mean, right? This is tough sledding. That this passage contains such lyrical prose makes it beautifully readable, but not necessarily relevant, right? I mean, indeed, some people have criticized this last portion of Isaiah as a, a, a sort of form of dreamy avoidance therapy. You know, the kind of power of positive thinking stuff that you... You find on late night infomercials that tell you how to lose 100 pounds by Valentine's Day or, or, or make dump truck loads of cash on real estate with no money down. Or preachers like, like Joel Osteen selling a false bill of goods so that God has nothing better to do than bless you with a new Mercedes and a vacation home. If you'll just send a suitable donation to help gold plate the toilets in the pastor's study. I mean, that's been the, the, the rap on the last part of Isaiah. These people, they come struggling back to Judah after years of exile. More of a trickle, really, than a stream. They have been through the mill. But a few of them come back home. A few here, a few there. Let loose by the Persian king Silas, Cyrus, who's... The forebear of the Magi who followed the star to Bethlehem in our gospel text this morning. The one who defeated the Babylonians. They get back home and the temple is, lies in ruins. Painful reminder of their humiliation at the hands of the Babylonians. The people of God hang their heads in shame, unable to bring themselves to lift up their eyes. Sure, I mean, they've been released, but to what? 
There's all kinds of confusion in Jerusalem as the exiles return. What are they going to do now? We've got flooding going on in our state right now. A lot of people waking up to ruined basements. Lives that are soggy and damp. But then Isaiah comes to the people and says, Arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Nations shall come to your light and the kings to the brightness of your dawn. That's kind of pie in the sky sounding, isn't it? Right? I mean, just more words, really. What is Isaiah? Some kind of Palestinian cockeyed optimist? I mean, like kings would even occupy the same room as these misfit refugees, let alone come and bend the knee? And come on, I was born at night, as my, my buddy Bill would say, but not last night. And that's kind of how these, this passage sounds, isn't it? I mean, it's nice. But anybody with half a brain and some walking around change already knows how the world's supposed to work. And it doesn't work the way that Isaiah says that it works. I mean, a scroungy band of refugees with Babylonian dust still on their crocs and Birkenstocks, they just don't receive the attention of the nations. That's not how that goes. I mean, what do you take us for? Credulous dotes? unsophisticated rubes. I mean, give us some credit. We're modern, urbane folks, after all. It's really hard to, to, to comprehend this sort of good news, especially in a world that, all things else being equal, is still pretty well off for most of us. I mean, admittedly, we face our own difficult times. But overall, we're, most of us, pretty comfortable. I mean, we got our problems, to be sure. We, we suffer much higher levels of depression and anxiety than our ancestors. That's something. I mean, we're living through the 21st century version of the Black Plague. Uh, our parents are more fragile than we ever imagined when we were younger, and and they seemed like anchors in our universe, right? I mean, we, we lost national treasure Betty White for crying out loud. We watch our children struggle in the world and despair that there's so little that we can do to make things right for them. But so many of us live in nice homes, drive serviceable cars, have at least three different streaming services and, and can therefore afford to be a little bit dubious about the fantastical claims that Isaiah puts forth. But as I've said before, apocalyptic literature in the final analysis is always sort of poo-pooed by the well-secured and the situated. I mean, I, how do you convince somebody who lives where they live and drives a Jaguar and 
vacations in Fiji that, that, that the reign of God really has much to offer. I mean, if we're going to create space within which we can hear this ancient literature, then we'll need to re be reminded that Isaiah wasn't speaking to middle-class white suburbanites. Well, let me put it this way. Would it change your hearing of this text if you were working three jobs just to put some bologna in the fridge? Or struggling to keep your family safe on a 2,000-mile trek to the U.S. border? Or, or, or trying to figure out how to treat your infected foot and abscessed tooth while living on the streets of Louisville, Kentucky? I mean, if your big decision for the day wasn't whether to watch the games on the big screen in the living room or on the one in the basement, but whether to pay rent or to buy your mother's insulin, would that make this passage sound a little bit different to you? I mean, if you were sinking in the shadows of depression and suicidal ideation, afraid that you might never see the light again, or, or, or a lonely teenager whom everybody either teased or ignored, would Isaiah maybe have something to say to you? Arise, shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord has risen upon you, for darkness shall cover the earth and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and God's glory will appear over you. Nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. <coughs> Lift up your eyes and look around. You see, our, our, our ability to hear this passage has as much to do with where we're standing when the message comes as with what the message itself says. I mean, there are a lot of folks right here who are pretty well situated, but there are other people out there who are trying to figure out how they're going to make it through the week without their whole world falling apart. I mean, there are some folks among us in our circles, in our families, who are convinced that the world, with you know, maybe just a few minor tweaks here and there, is just pretty much the way it ought to be, and that life will bless them endlessly, and that the really awful stuff pretty much happens to other people. Although, let's just be honest, right now, it feels like some of the awful stuff is happening to everybody, doesn't it? Or at least people we know. And there are people... among us, in our circles, in our own families, they know. I mean, they know that they're playing the game of life against a stacked deck, that, that they're born to pain, and that even if things seem calm for just a little while, they're, we're all just a phone call or a cancellation bill away from discovering that life is much more tenuous and uncertain than most of us have ever had the misfortune to understand. There are folks who have a pretty big stake in the world staying pretty much the way it is. And they have, they, they believe that the next great opportunity is just around the corner and that they'll never fall so low that life can't bear them up. But there are other people who understand that the world isn't knocking down any doors to give them a shot. And that the safety nets that most of us take for granted are shaky at best and illusory at worst. 
Perhaps that's why Epiphany is considered by most American Christians to be sort of a minor holy day. Because Epiphany can only make sense to a bewildered and struggling people. If you bask all day in the glory of the sun, then the light of a candle doesn't even make a dent in your world. But if you spend your whole life stumbling about in the shadows of twilight, well, then even a little bit of candlelight can seem like a blazing star. Here they come, a humiliated group of expatriates trying to figure out how they're going to keep it together until payday, just a handful of disgraced refugees who've finally come back to their war-torn homes and are trying to pick up the pieces of their shattered lives in the old Judean neighborhood. Houses have been torn down, orchards and vineyards overgrown with brambles and weeds, the temples now a distant memory. I mean, what are they going to do? They're really kind of a laughing stock. I mean, even Walmart has packed up its discount wares and hit the road. The shelves are bare and the people are nervous. Some hometown. There's not much there in the way of hope. It's pretty bleak. But then, see, Isaiah arrives on the scene with a few words and says... Arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Can you hear that? I mean, that's epiphany. Night ruled until God sent a little illumination to a bunch of unknown Judeans out in the middle of nowhere. Of course, God's forever pulling shenanigans like that. We just celebrated Christmas, after all, so we know what God's capable of. A light shined in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. But see, here's the thing. This light isn't just for personal consumption, for making us feel warm and illumined. It's not just for alleviating individual pain. Arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. So, I mean, obviously the, the, the light shines on each of us, but that light is supposed to be reflected by us, not just absorbed. The light's not just for us. It's for us to shine back on the world. Because the world feels pretty perilous. The shadow's long, but God has shined a light on us, and partly through us, a light that illuminates for all to see what kind of a world God is busy revealing. God shines a bright light on a new world, a new kind of community, one that feels so different from the kingdoms of this world that that when it's finally evident to everyone, the nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Instead of the murderous regimes that exercise power over the powerless, jealously guarding that power with murderous precision, God offers us the opportunity to participate in the light-filled world turned on its head. Where the last shall be first and the first shall be last, 
where those who've been barred entry because they didn't fit with somebody's idea of the caliber of people who should be included on the guest list, they're finally ushered up the center aisle as the guests of honor. In order to see the brightness of your dawn, though, you'll have to lift up your eyes, not just so you can see it, but so that the light might be reflected in your eyes to the rest of the world. Lord knows we need that light right now. Amen. Thanks again for tuning in to the Douglas Boulevard Christian Church Podcast. If you liked what you heard, please rate the podcast on iTunes, retweet the link, or just tell your friends. Godspeed until next time on the Douglas Boulevard Christian Church Podcast.